Welcome to Cross Training, where we look at faith and practice through a biblical lens. We're grammatically correct now, boys. I'm Matthew Thompson. And I'm Tanner Higgins. I thought we weren't going off last Oh! But I'm Mason Simmons. We are no longer incognito. Fellas, you, uh, we've been saying our last names this whole time. Let, we'll stick with it. We'll stick with it. Last names are important. Names mean something. That's no, so. My that's, name is rooted in the name of Jesus. That That is true. But this way, when our, when our parents are listening to it, like, that's... That's my boy. That that's that's my namesake. Carrying on the the Christian torch. I'm the son of God. I'm not denying that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what, what, what argument you thought he was gonna bring up there, but there is no arguments. There's no argument there. But love me, mom. I, my name is Higgins. Well, all worldly things aside, <laughs> in terms of scripture, we're uh, we're gonna be going over a, a shorter a shorter bit of verses. We're only gonna be, be covering nine verses today, but still. Great nonetheless, because, I mean, hey, Jesus is involved. Uh, we're in John chapter 4 still, going over verses 46, I believe, through 54. An interesting uh, exchange between Jesus and an official's son, as my Bible calls it. So do we want to read this all the way through and then do some commentary, or do we want to take a couple verses? How do, how do we want to attack this, boys? Why not? It's, a, it's just a small chunk today. Let's just Let's do it. attack it, it all, it. and then we'll break it down as we go. All right. Well, Mason, you I think if you made a word cloud, you, you ever seen like those word clouds that people make? Like you know what a word cloud books? is? No, like it's uh, those pictures that's just like a bunch of words, and like the words that are bigger, like the picture is like literally words spelled out. And like oh, but it makes a picture, and you like, like they can, they can. But like some of the words are bigger than others, and the size of the word is dependent on how many times that word is used. Oh, okay, no, I know what you're talking about. Like now. if you made a, a word cloud, I know what you're talking about now. Okay, all right, cool. We're we're all we're all on the same page. page. Yeah. Woo! Well, if you made a word cloud according to who's speaking the most, I think Mason would be the smallest. So I want you to. Read I am this. tiny. <laughs> <laughs> all right, John chapter four. John chapter 4, verses 46 through 54 says, So Jesus came again to Canaan of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. So here we go, flashbacks to John chapter 2. Jesus is coming back to Cana. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. So when he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. And then Jesus said unto him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. The nobleman said unto him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go your way, your son lives. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went his way. And as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Your son lives. Then he inquired of them the hour when he got better. And then they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. So the father knew that that was the same hour in which Jesus said to him, Your son lives, and he he himself believed, and his whole household. This again is the second sign Jesus did when he had come into Judea and to Galilee. The first bit of uh, input that I'd like to give is a question that uh, I'm genuinely curious on. Like, I don't have, like, the answer to this in my mind right now. Uh, but in verse 48, when Jesus is responding to these people, uh, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. What's the message that you think Jesus is trying to get across by saying that? Because, I mean, that, that's an accusation right there. Like, Jesus is saying, like, you need to see before you believe. And, of course, uh, if we want to jump ahead in the Scripture, I mean, that brings to mind uh, Thomas, the disciple, 
because uh, he was an individual that wouldn't believe until he saw, and he was properly rebuked for that after uh, Jesus proved the situation that they were in. Even though that makes me think of that interaction, do you think that's what Jesus is doing right now? He just is he just making an observation, or is there an accusation being made here? Mm-hmm. Well, you also got to think that he may be talking directly to this uh, individual, this someone of royal official status, which, I mean, uh, some historians and some documents would say that it is a, a centurion within uh, Herod's court. But he, he is a Gentile, so he's not a Jew. And, you know, with even though he's talking directly to this Gentile centurion, he is referring, it's like, okay, he's referring to the people that is following as well, people that are probably surrounded and listening to this conversation. He may be also talking to the disciples. He could be talking to some of us. I mean, it, it's it's interpreted in one in one communication, but yet it is applied to every single one that reads of this of this conversation. So more than just an observation and more than an accusation, that's that's a warning. You could you could see that as being a warning there. You know what I mean? Because I mean, if it's being potentially aimed at not only the people that he's literally talking to, but also the disciples around him, like it, I guess warning could be kind of a strong word for that. But it, it's a a word of caution. I, I, yeah, there yeah, we go. For sure. Okay, I see where you're going with that now. Yeah, the reason I said he's speaking to this man directly because the Bible, you know, clearly says that, and Jesus said unto him, you know, yeah. the nobleman. But the way he says it, you know, unless you people, you know, it's it's not just you, it's people. Mm-hmm. So I think you're right. Yeah, I think this is. He's trying to address more than just him. So when I like to think of this conversation happening, I kind of like to think that Jesus made himself a little more louder than he would in a typical conversational mm-hmm. voice, just so that, you know, the people could hear, you know, you people only believe what you see, you know. Yeah. And, I, you know, and so I think he's try, trying to say, like, hey, listen to what I'm saying right now so that when you don't see that this child's, that this child is healed, you don't necessarily have to see it to believe it anymore. You will actually believe what I say. Mm-hmm. You know, because nobody saw this child get healed except for the servants that were at the house. The man didn't see his child healed. Mm-hmm. He just remembered, you know, when when did his fever break? Oh, it was about the seventh hour or, you know, in this time when the Bible was wrote, this is going to be sometime early in the afternoon. Uh, you know, about the seventh hour, his fever broke. And, you know, the nobleman, you know, says, and as we just read, or as I, I, I just read, uh, he remembers that's when he spoke to Jesus. Yeah. So he knows from faith and from, quote, unquote, air quotes, and I'm throwing up, seeing, you know, the Jesus's work, you know, in flesh. Jesus never touched the child. Jesus never went over and, you know, said anything. He just said, your child lives. In other scriptures too, I mean, in uh, other gospels, there's been many occasions where Jesus challenges the people that is following him, uh, which you have caboodles of people. I love that word, caboodles. <laughs> you have a lot of people following Jesus, but yet they're only searching for the manna that he provides. He says, you know, am I? Why do you follow me? Are you just following for the bread and the fish that I've provided? Are you just following for the miracles to see the signs and wonders that I have done, or are you actually following me because you want to be healed of your phys- of your spiritual uh, deadness? 
You know, it's like, why, what's, what's the reason? And so here, I think Jesus is kind of doing that same challenge upon the people that are searching for signs and wonders. And, you know, I think there's a lot of people today, there's, there's a, you know, Christians that are only in for it for the buck. You know, they're only a Christian because of what uh, Christianity uh, physically provides. And there are good exceptions in the sense of, you know, being a Christian, it does bring a sense of community. And, you know, without, you know, religion in itself, it does create a type of community, and that's important. But yet Christ brings something more than that. He brings healing. He brings uh, life eternal through the redemption of sins. And he is, and I think that we need to, when we read this, it's like, why, when I read this, I think, so why, why do I believe? Why do I uh, follow Christ? And the same thing is like, do, do I follow it because I see signs and wonders, or do I follow him because I have faith? And so he's challenging probably the centurion's faith. He's probably challenging the disciples' faith. He's probably challenging Thomas's faith later on in, in chapter 20. He has a conversation with Thomas. And when Jesus is raised again from the dead, Jesus, he says, you know, you believe because you have seen me. You believe because you have placed your finger into my side and have touched my scars. You believe because you've, you've witnessed it. But blessed are those that believe and have not seen. And Jesus, he's, he's, very, he's very specific that faith is a key ingredient into belief. Now, let me pose you a question. Is there a difference between belief and faith? Ooh, absolutely. Okay. 100%. Because the way that my mind kind of reads those two words, so I mean, this would definitely come down to like, what's your interpretation of what belief and faith means? So bear that in mind as I say what I'm about to say. But I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. I believe that Jesus rose again. And I'm going to be honest, this, this might sound extremely privileged, but don't think I've ever doubted that. Like, since I became conscious at a certain age and was able to really think for myself, be like, okay, this Jesus person in the Bible, do I believe in him? And I accepted, yes, I, I do believe that, that Jesus was, the, was God incarnate, is God incarnate. I don't believe I've, I've ever lost that belief. That's, that's remained consistent. But there have been plenty of times that I haven't had faith. Faith is an active thing. Like, you have to have faith in the moment. It, it takes effort to have faith. I mean, an excellent illustration of that is when Peter walked on water. He had faith, then he didn't, and then he sank, and then he was called out. Oh, you little, f or uh, why did you doubt? Why, why did you doubt? Whereas with belief, and again, take, take what I'm about to say with a grain of salt, I will explain myself. It's more of a passive thing, like it operates in the background. I mean, in theory, if you are a Christian, you are a Christian at all times. You don't turn on the Christian switch. You don't enter into apostasy every other day. No, you, you have that belief. That's something that you, you take with you at all times. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Whereas faith is something you have to think about. You have to muster that up. Because being a fallen, sinful human being, you don't just have your, your faith turned on 24-7. It would be wonderful if it did. I mean, even Jesus, Jesus himself was like, hey, if, if you guys had faith the, the size of a mustard seed, you'd need only to tell a mountain to move, mm -hmm. and it would. And 
I don't see very many mountains moving. So I, I think that that will be evidence towards that. So I'm, I'm open to be proven wrong, but that is my gut reaction. No, I totally agree. And I think that uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it definitely uh, accentuates your, your what you've said. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Now faith is reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. So in another translation, now faith is the evidence of the things hoped for and the evidence of the things unseen. And so faith, I think, is with hope. I think belief is almost to the sense without hope because the devil believes and has belief in who Jesus is, but doesn't have faith in him. So with us as Christians, yeah, I, I believe in Christ, and I believe in the evidence that has presented before me, but yet I have to have faith in Christ for that hope to be restored. And this man right here, and Jesus is talking to him, says, no, you you guys are only following by what you see, and, and but you're not having faith. And since he's saying you don't have faith, hope but this centurion i think that he does have faith because what what's mason read read verse uh 49 and 50 the nobleman said to him sir come down before my child dies and jesus said unto him go away your child your son lives so the man believed the word jesus spoke to him and he went his way so that verse 49 i think is is, is very important that you do see a type of faith or belief that has hope there's hope restored because he has trust in who Jesus is. He says, why, why would he ask Jesus to come down? Because he believes that Jesus could heal him. There's hope in, in a sense of who Jesus is. He believes, he's like, Jesus, come down and heal my son. I know that you can do it. I believe in you. I have faith in you that you can do it. There's hope for me yet if you just come. But Jesus, I think it's awesome, just like Mason said, that it's like, when he, he goes home, he remembers that time that he had a conversation with Christ in the seventh hour. And it's like, oh, once I believed and once I had faith that he was healed. Uh, one bit of clarification that I'd like to make is um, when I was giving my answer, I, I made the statement that I don't think I've ever struggled with belief. I, I don't mean to speak ill of anyone that goes through that struggle because I'm aware that that is a storm that exists. And who knows, that, that might be uh, in front of me. I mean, heaven forbid, but it, no one, I believe, is above having those struggles in their lives. So I just, I just want to make it clear I'm not trying to trivialize that concept of struggling with your, with your belief. That's a, a very real issue that exists. Yeah, just, because it, it does exist because Thomas struggled with exactly, it. Exactly, exactly. And, and I know that even, I'm sure, uh, Peter, he struggled with it in the sense, like, look at him on the, on the ocean. or Look at him on the sea of Galilee. You know, even though he did believe and had faith to step out, but yet I'm sure his waiver was focused on himself in the sense of, no, don't use that, don't use that, don't use that. Just use Thomas. You're good. Okay. <laughs> I didn't know. I, I thought I had a plan. I thought I had a route, but yet it ended up at a dead end. Okay. Uh, and I don't, I don't, I'd like to think I didn't come across like that, but I just want to make sure the air was clear on that. I don't want to be misinterpreted there. Uh, but I do have another observation on the scripture, uh, that verse 48 again, I like to hone back in on that. Uh, when Jesus says, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Uh, I mean, obviously scripture can be applied to the modern day, but I would like to take the moment to talk about how that applies to the modern day. Because okay. how many people out there view Christianity as like a transaction? I mean, you see it with televangelists all the time. 
uh, like the end of the, the program when they say, hey, put, put your hand on that screen. We're, we're going to do some faith healing. Now, am I saying that's impossible? No. But is it happening every week when you tune in? I think there's a strong case for another no right there. Mm. This, this belief, and I mean, that's just one example. There are plenty of others. I mean, you have like prosperity doctrines, another easy one to throw out there. Those are just two quick examples. But again, this goes a lot deeper than those two uh, subjects. This idea that believing in God is going to make things happen to you, that, that it will, and that it will be on a schedule, and it will be constant, and you will, you will never be lacking I mean, goodness, the, the psalmist said that I shall not want, so I'm, I'm just going to be given all these things, right? It's, it's a fundamental misunderstanding of what it means to have a relationship with God. Uh, Jesus isn't your court jester. He's not going to come in when you snap your fingers and then juggle some miracles for you. That's not how this stuff works. And, it, I mean, that rings true when Jesus was saying this back when Jesus said that physically. I mean, that, that applies just as well today. Mm-hmm. I think we have to watch our hearts. We do. Because this type of ideology and doctrine of you name it, you claim it. And this Jesus is my bellhop, you know, if as long as I ring my bell, Jesus is going to arrive. And Jesus, he he's challenging this again, like I've stated before. He's he he, he has this conversation with these people. And it's like, are you just doing it? Are you following me for these things? And, you know, it's a benefit. It truly is. Eternal life is a reward that I do not deserve. It's a benefit. The type of community that we have with fellow believers is a benefit. It truly is. And it has benefited not only the Christian community, but yet humanity in itself. So there are truly benefits of having faith and believing in Jesus but yet there are things in this life that are so difficult and that maybe it's just necessary to go through them and have them so that we can turn our focus away from ourselves and focus back on Christ. Because what would have this statement that Jesus made, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe, and the centurion's son died, that does not mean that that statement is false. It does not mean that Jesus is no less lesser of God than he was before. Yeah, because like you said, I mean, that, that is at its crux a heart issue. Because obviously, I mean, God wants to provide for us. I mean, just like he provided for the Israelites. Uh, but then when their, their hearts kind of hardened a bit, when he's, he's given them this manna, making sure that they're fed, and they, they think to complain, oh, Lord, we're, we're done with manna. We don't, we don't like manna. Manna's boring. We want something better. How about some meat? And then... God does entertain the notion, but in about the most hilarious way possible, he says, okay, all right, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll give you meat. I'll give you so much that it comes out of your nose, and it's going to smell terrible, and you're going to hate it, but I'm, I'm going to give you what you want, and you're going to learn not to test, not, not to test me like that, and that's, that's in numbers if you want to look that up. It's a funny story there, um, but it comes down to the heart. Like G- Jesus, God wants to provide for you. But if you're sitting here, again, snapping your fingers like, okay, Jesus, time, time for my daily blessing, time for you to provide to me because you owe it to me. He doesn't owe us anything. Mm-hmm. So I, absolutely, you're 100% right. It comes down to where's your heart at when it comes to these uh, transactions. Because at, at its very core, it's grace. God's given us stuff that we don't deserve. 
I also want to point out verse 54 is that now this was also the second sign Jesus performed after he came from Judea to Galilee. And this is only the second sign, the second healing that Jesus done throughout chapter 1 through 4. And to be honest, it's a very short section comparative to a lot of his other teachings. And to me, more there's more mind-blowing stuff of what he said than what he's already done. Yes, it's awesome that he's brought someone, you know, basically from the brink of death. And yeah, it's it, it's outstanding that he turned water into wine. But more, I'm more mind blown by his actual teaching and what he's saying than the actual miracles itself. And so I think that Jesus is like, kind of also having he wants us he wants us to think, okay, listen to what I have to say. I'm I'm kind of like twirling a flag with my signs and my wonders of like, I'm over here, look at me a little bit, but yet the words that I say actually have the healing power, not the things that I can do. Because think about uh, later on with Lazarus. Jesus brought him back from the dead, but guess what? He had to die again, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And so, so, I mean, there's a second death that, that Lazarus had to go through. Yes, Jesus did that to twirl the flag and say, look, I have the power and authority over death itself. But listen to what I have to say, and then you will not have to fear death. And there will be no death upon you. That death, hell, and the grave is defeated by the actions and the words and the things that I have done. And so I think these signs and wonders that John has focused upon, it's, it's kind of like markers, like trail markers to... To say, okay, this is the path that we need. To, we need to look at. Okay, here's the evidence, but yet the evidence is the belief, but yet the faith is is the hope. So the things that Jesus says, I definitely hope in that, and I have faith in that for sure. And everything you just said jives perfectly along with what John establishes the focus of the book of John is, because as we uh, talked about in our deep dive when we started out in chapter one, John makes it clear that the purpose of his writing, his account within his gospel of Jesus' walk on earth is to prove that he is the way, the truth, and the life, that he is the Son of God. So these, not only focusing on the miracles to prove that there is a supernatural aspect to Jesus, like there's, he can do stuff that other people can't do, but also honing in on his teachings the way, uh, way he does. And of course the other Gospels do this to a similar extent, but John made it clear that the purpose within him jumping from miracle to teaching, miracle to teaching, the way that he did it is specifically designed to paint this picture of who is the Son of God? Why is He the Son of God? What can He do for us, and what can we do for Him? So this this interaction, the everything that you just observed there, Tanner, like that, that completely jives with what uh, John says the purpose of this book is. So yeah, hundred percent on the same page there. Do you think there's any significance that this is probably the only one of the few recordings or only recording of Jesus making a long distance healing or miracle? <laughs> I mean, He's not there and He's healed. Yeah. Do you think there's any significance? I mean, I, I mean, I'm sure there is, but I'm not smart enough to point it out right now. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's just, I mean, I guess the the surface uh, value observation I can give to that is, I mean, it's it's just another thing that Jesus can do. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's a simple illustration of nothing is outside of His range. I think. But, the p- ooh, crap, I'm I'm sorry to cut you no, off, but like. <laughs> Because it's established in, I mean, it might be established in John, but I know it's established in one of the other Gospels as well, maybe several of them, that there's a lot of contact that takes place. There's people wanting to touch Jesus' robes. There's, Jesus has to, to touch your eyes to, 
to heal your sight, or he has to. He has, there has to be some form of contact there. So this this is another explanation of you see Jesus on another level. You thought that we set a level with him having to touch people to heal them, but no, 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 no. Now he just says it, and then a mile away, it happens. So it, it it's just a further illustration of the boundless power that the Son of God, the this mm-hmm. fleshly incarnation of God, has. I just want to get that before like I forgot. <laughs> You know, another observation I'd like to make is the fact that we've had so many observations over just one verse. Like, it just goes to show, I mean, I know that I'm speaking to the choir here, both to y'all and to anyone listening to this, but Jesus kind of knew what was up. Anytime that he starts talking, it's time to really hone in because Scripture, I mean, it's all the story of God, all right? Like, that. the purpose of Scripture is it's all a unified story that leads to Jesus. It's a consistent beautiful work of art that will let you know who this who the creator of the universe is how much he loves you why he loves you what he's going to do for you it, it's beautiful so every single time that god incarnate or i mean god within the old testament anytime he speaks there's something special here all of scripture is special but when god himself is communicating there's just some new gravity to that so i i think it's beautiful that we've talked so much about just one singular verse uh, where, where Jesus is telling them, and just for the sake of repeating the verse again, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Just the endless commentary you can get off of that is wonderful. Mm-hmm. So I think one of the best things that I can say, I can't. So I'm, there's a commentary here that I have in front of me that I think words it perfectly that my uh, uh, bumbling mouth could not. But it says, concerning to verse 40, it says the expression, signs and wonders, probably harks back to the series of miracles performed by Moses at the Exodus. Jesus rebuked people for their dependence on the miraculous. For John, miracles are signs pointing to Jesus' messianic identity. So I think it's, it's, it's very important to note that Jesus and God the Father in the Old Testament is continuously trying to communicate with the pe- with people and trying to have a relationship with people. And there's signs post and there's miracles to show the power and the significance and the authority of God. But the most important thing is the words that can actually change your life. And God, the Father in the Old Testament, and the Son in the New Testament, and the Holy Spirit that we have now, and you know, they're all one you know, with, with the Trinity, but the, that one word, dependence, is key. If we want to have hope, I think that there's a true dependence that we need to have on the Father. There's a true dependence, even with or without miracles in our lives, with death or life in our lives. I think depending on God is important for sure yeah and honestly you you can't really blame people for uh, having that oh this is a new Moses kind of mentality because Moses was one of the first like real attempts at a new Adam you know I mean that that was all throughout Old Testament scripture so this is a consistent thought that obviously Jesus knew that people had I mean that's that's the reason that he addressed it through that verse like saying hey don't you be relying on these miracles, because I know that's that's how you knew that I was on Moses' side back in the day, but I'm not Moses. I I am perfection. I am it done right. So this this important distinction is something that you'll see throughout the rest of Jesus' ministry. Although, of course, he's still going to do miracles, and we're going to be cover, covering another miracle next week. I mean, obviously, there's no shortage of them, because, again, Jesus is God in the flesh. He's capable of this stuff, and he's 
you, we're going to see it throughout the rest of this uh, Book of John deep dive. Uh, but that, that's a story for next week. Um, Mason, how about you lead us out? All right. The usual. Uh, in the show notes, not hard to find if, in case you don't know anybody new to podcasts like myself, but even I can find them. You just go to like the more info and then boom, our Facebook, our email, and our Instagram all tagged there. Just click the links. They should take you right to it. Copy and paste, whatever you got to do. Uh, but, I mean, as far as that goes, just have the faith of the nobleman or the official and good things will happen. Well, we'll catch you next week. Tanner, how about you give us the two magic words? Peace out.